Welcome to the podcast for the North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. Now let us turn to this week's scripture and sermon, and let us begin with a prayer. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything worthy of praise, let us meditate upon these things. Amen. Let us pray. God, source of all light, by your word, you give light to our souls. Pour out your spirit of wisdom and understanding on us, that our hearts may be opened, that our minds may be opened, to know your truth and your way. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes from the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him. And she came and bowed down at his feet. Now this woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found her child lying on the bed, the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. When I imagine this scene in the Gospel of Mark, I imagine that our feisty heroine, this devoted mother, actually the scripture says she had heard tell of this man from Nazareth. Even before Facebook and Twitter and texting, I imagine that the streets were talking. Word had traveled fast through Jerusalem, Genesaret, Tyre, Tyre, and Sidon. And now y'all know I love thinking about people, what people were saying that wasn't recorded in the scripture. The conversations that were happening in the markets, in the synagogues, in the courtyards, and along the roads. A gossip exegesis, if you will. I imagine that people were whispering and saying, what do you know about this man? This man, he seems like a new kind of man. Have you heard that he walks on water? Did you hear that this man fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread? Oh girl, I heard about that, my cousin was there. My cousin was in the crowd. For real, did you hear about this man who healed the demon-possessed fellow? You know the one that hangs out at the cliff and cast the evil spirit into a herd of pigs? I did hear about that. My mother-in-law's hairdresser's husband's uncle saw that with his own eyes. I mean, what do you think about this man? I think he's a descendant of David. 
No, I heard that he is the son of God. I imagine that our heroine was listening about all of this and that her ears especially perked up when they mentioned him casting a demon, out a demon. She probably looked at her daughter who was being tormented, her suffering child, and said, I need to get to this man. We don't know a lot about this woman. We don't even get her name. But we do know about her because we know about love. That love that will keep you up at night searching for a solution for whatever ails your loved one. That love that keeps you making phone calls and making visits and Googling way past the midnight hour to find a cure for the pain that is tormenting your child, your parent, your sibling, your spouse, your friend. We know that love will make you travel great distances, cross boundaries, break cultural and racial taboos. Love will make you get really bold. Love will have you turn the world upside down to make sure that your loved one is whole. This woman who was not Jewish, she was not an Israelite, she was a Gentile, but she believed that this man was a new man, this man who broke boundaries and healed lepers, healed the hemorrhaging woman, who defied Pharisees and religious traditions. And this man, I bet she saw a solution. She found something new and something real, a man who wouldn't think twice about healing a woman from a different culture. But then she approached only to find that he was not acting new at all. He rebuked her, he called her a dog. He seemed governed by the same restrictions and traditions that she thought he was here to dismantle. Now it's very easy to make excuses for Jesus in this passage. I mean, seriously, we cannot imagine a biblical story where we don't root for Jesus. It's the Bible, we're on Jesus' side. And I have read my fair share of commentaries about this story. Oh, to see the hoops that scholars jump through to make Jesus' reply holy. One I read said that Jesus was simply creating a home scene where dogs and children coexist. I don't think we were reading the same passage there. And then there are lots who make a lot out of how dog is translated, basically saying, Jesus was talking about a domesticated dog, not a wild dog, as if that makes it better. One of my favorite takes is a scholar who says that the story is in the scripture, recorded in the scripture, to remind us to be kind to our pastors, even when they say unkind things. back to NDPC if David or Beth called us a dog when we were trying to get help. And that might be a wee bit of an issue in stewardship season, I'm sure. And still others say that it was a teaching moment for the disciples. It wasn't about the woman at all. It was simply a lesson in humility. But I can't imagine that an already marginalized woman in this culture needed to be sufficiently humbled in this exchange all to take her down another peg in the service of making a point to the disciples. But even if we don't go through these lengths, 
It is easy to soften Jesus' reply. We remember that Jesus was tired, that he had just been on a healing tour, seeing so much pain and trauma and need, that he had just walked on water, that he was just looking for a quiet place. I mean, I have issues when I have too many meetings, too many people to call, too many things to do. I can't even imagine if I had crowds of sick people trying to touch me all the time with 12 clueless disciples who just didn't get it most of the time. And in the back of your mind, there's this whole crucifixion thing coming up. You might be a little testy as well. Um, Just now in the fellowship hall during the education hour, Cheryl Tony said, Jesus was grumpy. And I, I like that, grumpy Jesus. We might be a little grumpy too. But I think that in this passage, we really see Jesus as fully human. Jesus at that moment was a tired, overwhelmed human. He needed a moment of solace. And then there's this woman begging for his help, begging for some of his energy when he just felt like he had no energy to spare. His God voice was crowded out by all the activity all the busyness, all the relentless need and obligation around him. It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. No matter how we think about it, that is a stinging and startling insult. But then her reply, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Our heroine's words to Jesus remind him who he is. She reminds him that he is not a tired man, but he's the Lord, our savior, our living, refreshing water, our source of abundance. He reminds, she reminds Jesus that there is always enough. That just a few verses ago, in chapter six of Mark, he fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread. And then I imagine she's thinking, And then I find him to tell him to heal my child, and he tells me there's not enough. Oh, there is enough. There will be enough. She reminds Jesus who he is and what his purpose is. And through her faith, Jesus is able to see clearly once more the divinity in himself. He's able to remember that just the other day, He did feed 5,000 people, and there were 12 baskets of crumbs left over. She reminds him that he is the son of God, the God of all. And with that knowledge, he's able to heal her daughter. But this healing narrative doesn't stop there. This woman's response sets the stage for Jesus to proclaim that his body is broken and his blood is shed, not just for the children of Israel, but for all of us. And each time I study this passage, I find something new. When you look at the grammatical construction of this exchange in Greek, the woman's words were captured in a way that indicates great authority. The only other time that we see this particular wording is when Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, is speaking. And what I love about this is that it isn't her position, status, or wealth that gives her this authority. It is her love, it is her courage, and it is her care. And that message touches me so deeply. 
this woman powerfully proclaiming, there is enough for all of us. An unnamed woman in the Bible reminding Jesus that there is enough, that he is enough. And there is an unbroken chain of folks like her who have been told that there is not enough for them. Yet with great love and courage, they speak up for the wholeness of the children in their communities. These folks, folks see children of God being tormented by demons of poverty and violence and sexism and racism and homophobia and inequality, and they refuse to be silent in the face of it. These are the people who speak truth to, to power and say that you will not deny us because I know there is enough. These are the voices of the people who affirm that there is enough provision, enough peace, enough humanity, enough justice, enough education, enough health care, enough opportunity for all of us. Those who, like our sister in the text, say, uh, don't tell me that this freedom and dignity and quality of life outlined in the founding documents of this country are not for me. Don't tell me that there is not enough to go around. There is enough. And North Decatur is full of voices like this. We see it right now with our Soul Box team of people in DC, telling our country that we can all work towards a safer society for all. Their witness proclaims that too many lives have been cut short by gun violence, and we have to find another way. They are saying we have enough resources. We have enough research. We have enough expertise. We have enough power to stop this. They are showing up in this powerful, stunning demonstration to call our elected officials to action. Their love and their courage and their action reminds us there is enough. Our theme of stewardship this year is sowing seeds of courage for our community of care. And I can't imagine anyone who embodies that more than this Seraphonician woman. She reminds us that there is enough. That even when we feel like all of our time, all of our talent, all of our treasures are completely depleted, we can be reminded that we are not in this alone. She reminded Jesus who he is, and she reminds us who we are and whose we are. And when we are tempted to fall back on the old tired myths of scarcity, when we are too tired to believe and embrace a new and inclusive vision for our ministry, may we all remember the possibilities that the Syrophoenician woman opened up for us because she was emboldened with love and courage and care to say that there is enough. Amen. Friends, may we all move forward into divine possibility, emboldened by our courage, our love, and our care, reminding ourselves and others that with God there is always enough.